Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, February the 28th, 2024. It is currently 6.57 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio, located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, you may be asking, wait, where's the intro? Where, where's the intro? Something is wrong. Well, something is kind of wrong, and what is wrong is, well, I don't have enough slots for all of my audio files. I need one more slot to be able to play my intro, but all of the other slots are filled with audio files that are queued up because we've got some important things to talk about. So are you ready? We are going to be returning to the thing we discussed earlier today where we talked about, well, Satan in your head or how Satan gets into your head. However you would like to word it, I'm calling it Satan in your head, but we are reviewing the audio of a message called How Satan Gets Into Your Head. And this all started, I know it's crazy how this all started, well, because I was talking about a song from a a heavy metal album that was released in January of 2024, okay? And so from that heavy metal album, we started talking about Satan and what can Satan do and what can Satan not do? And then from there, we have the Sermons 2.0 app challenge where we're choosing random sermons. So someone decided to choose a random sermon on the power of Satan. And when they did, they found a sermon entitled, How Satan Gets Into Your Head. And it's a very popular sermon because it has over, what, 32, 33, 34,000 people have listened to it. So they they said some things about it in their email, and then I took what he sent me, and then I'm like, okay, let, let's do a review of this. And the next thing you know, we're talking about, well, not only just in general what Satan can or cannot do, but the audio that we reviewed in part one of this, well, he implied that Satan, not only can he get into your head, he can get so into your head that he renders you completely powerless to do the work of God, and to do things for the kingdom of God. Render you completely powerless. And then not only can Satan get into your head to render you powerless, he can so enslave you that you do his purpose. So according to the audio we listen to, Satan can get so into the head of a Christian that a Christian is powerless and a Christian is enslaved to basically do the will of Satan. That's a frightening thought. If that was true, if that is true, if you forget what, let's not even do that. Whether it's true or not true, if you believe that is true, that should have an absolutely profound impact on how you live your Christian life. You should be in a constant state of almost paranoia, Because Satan can get so into your head that he renders you powerless. He gets so into your head that basically you have no control. If that is true, ladies and gentlemen, you should be, you should be scared to death. You shouldn't want to go anywhere, do anything. I mean, you, you may want to just go join a monastery if that is true. And then even there, obviously Satan could get inside. So I don't know what you do. I mean, that is a, that is a very, severe and specific hypotheses that would have a profound impact on how you look at your Christian life. So we are listening to this and we're considering their hypotheses and then I'm presenting my own perspective. Now, it's not here so much to criticize them. It's to tell everyone, here's this perspective. Here is my perspective. You need to figure it out. But here's the key. Whichever perspective you decide is true then you need to live accordingly. Because if you believe Satan can so get into your head that he renders you powerless, that he can enslave you for his purpose, I I don't even know. I don't know what your Christian life will look like. I don't even know how you function. But then when we were reviewing this, I, I, I had some very difficult problems with this hypothesis from a philosophical point of view maybe from a logical point of view. And I want you to consider this, and then I'm going to play some audio because I got a notification on my uh, iPad from one of the podcasts that I listened to that they were talking about something that I think very much can relate to this. All right, so are you ready? Here is kind of the philosophical, logical problem I have with this. 
If Satan can get so into your head that you're rendered powerless or enslaved, then at that point, how do you ever trust anything coming out of your mind? How do you ever trust any thought that you have? How can you trust anything you're thinking? Because how do you know that's not Satan? You're like, well, I compared it with the word of God. No, you think you compared it with the word of God. If Satan is controlling your mind, he could he can make you think that you're looking to the Bible and that the conclusion you came to is right, but it wouldn't be right. So, how, I mean, how can you judge any thought? How can you, if Satan can get into your head, then at any point, how do you know Satan is in your head? Does someone else tell you? So if someone else tells you Satan is in your head, they're right. So then, so then you have to listen to someone else because you couldn't even trust your own interpretation of the Bible. If Satan can get into your head, how can you trust your interpretation of the Bible? Because you have to use your brain in order to interpret. Look, the whole hypothesis would leave me like, I, I can't, I can't trust anything I think. Now, as I was processing all of this, as I just said a few seconds ago, I got a notification on my iPad from one of the po- uh, the podcast apps that I follow, and it had something about the threat hackers pose. And I'm like, oh, I know this is not about Satan, but the way this sermon that we're reviewing is presenting it, Satan is like the great hacker. He hacks into your brain. And when a hacker hacks into something... Well, doesn't it take control? I want you to, so we're going to listen to this thing about this threat that hackers pose to the United States. But as you're listening to them talk about the, about human hackers hacking into technology, I want you to think about how that would sound if we were reporting about Satan can hack into your brain. Let's just listen to a little of this and you'll see the illustration that I want to put together. Here we go. This week, the Department of Energy announced a new $45 billion effort to protect the country's energy sector from cyber attacks. And last week, President Biden signed an executive order to beef up cybersecurity at U.S. ports. FBI Director Christopher Wray has been sounding the alarm about cybersecurity threats from China in particular. And so has Karim Hijazi. He's a former intelligence contractor and founder and CEO of Vigilocity, a cybersecurity company. He spoke to Peter O'Dowd. So Christopher Ray says it is the threat of our generation. He talked about Chinese hackers targeting water treatment plants, our electrical grid, natural gas pipelines. How serious is this? It's quite serious. Unfortunately, those in the community know that this is not actually a new issue. Unfortunately, this has finally reached a, a peak level where I think it's hit mainstream awareness. In the old days, the Chinese were... Uh, the, at least the nation-state actors, not the Chinese people, obviously, uh, were focused on intellectual property pursuits. Uh, this is a bit of a shift in their methodology. It's more akin to what we'd find from other nation-state actors. And so it is a little bit of a alarming change that, that uh, obviously is uh, getting everyone's attention in the industry and, and from government as well. If you were to take just one of those threats, uh, for example, the water treatment plant, what's the mm-hmm. risk? What could a hacker do? The concern here is that the systems that run these plants that uh, move water from one zone to another or any kind of factory or what we call operational technology environment, they're very fragile and they're quite old. And so that's part of the reason why it's been such a wonderful attack vector for these these groups because they're not very well updated. The manufacturers that have built a lot of these things are not even in business anymore. So the retrofitting to get them up to speed is problematic. The implication of it is that take something like water, if you secretly change the pH levels in a, in a water treatment environment, for example, you can cause a mass dysentery effect across a population quite quickly without anyone really knowing where it's coming from. And that can cause a further pressurization on things like hospitalizations, and then you can cascade it with attacks on things like power. Not to mention... Please note, they could hack in control it, change it, which then would impact the water, which then could cause great sickness, which then could impact the healthcare system. The hacker is from the outside, gets inside, controls, changes things, and then you end up with all of these 
well, actions, all these things began to unfold. Let's listen to just a little bit more so that I can really put this illustration together because I've got serious philosophical and logical questions really to the entire evangelical world because I don't know, Christians love to put forth an idea about Satan and never really think about, well, wait a minute, what would this really mean practically? So we're going to take this discussion about Chinese hackers and we're going to, we're going to turn it to Satan and then just see if this just makes any sense from a logical perspective, right? Here we go. And that simply Overloading certain systems can put these places out of business, meaning out of operation for some period of time, which means people aren't getting water. There's all kinds of implications there uh, that that people haven't really thought about because everything is controlled essentially by computers at this point. And so therein lies the efficiency and the risk at the same time. Everything is controlled by computers, essentially. You control, you take control of the computer Everything else, all actions, everything else is impacted. Now, let's take this. According to what we are listening to this sermon and what many Christians at least put forth this idea that Satan can get into your mind, Satan can can put thoughts into your mind, that he has some access to your thinking and to your brain and can get in there. Now, the, now, whether you believe he can render you powerless as the sermon that we're currently reviewing, that he can enslave you, okay, that may be to the extreme level of what Satan can get into your brain. Other pastors may kind of modify it and weaken it a little, but the minute you say Satan can get inside your brain and start impacting your thinking or taking control of your thinking to any degree— at that point, ladies and gentlemen, I've got serious questions. First, let's just start with lost people. Now, lost people, Satan already owns. He already controls. They're children of Satan. So why wouldn't Satan then completely take over all of their minds completely? Now, you could say, well, he does control their mind, but God and his sovereignty breaks through that, that mind control to shed the light of the gospel and he saves them and he transla- translates them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Okay, let's go with that. All right. So, and now that destroys the idea of free will, obviously completely. So those who are not reformed are going to be very upset, but okay, I, that, my soteriology is, is more reformed. So I don't have an issue with that, right? Yes. God has to do the saving because we are so impacted. Not by Satan. I think we're so impacted by our depravity that that's why God has to work. But let's just say we, we, we follow this analogy. All right. So God, so Satan has hacked the brains of all the lost people. He's, he has complete control. God overrides his control and translates someone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now they are saved. Okay. Now they're saved. Now, according to what many preachers and churches teach, Satan now, I guess then, okay, wait a minute. In a sense, he got kicked out. Let's say he got temporarily kicked out. So then Satan's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Now I'm going to get back into their brains. I'm going to get back to their brains. And now the minute you say Satan can get back into the mind or the brains of Christians, now you've got lots of theological issues to consider. Wait a minute. If Satan can get back into the mind of a Christian, He's not only can he, he has the ability to do so. You would have to acknowledge the only reason he can do it is because God allowed him to do it. And if God is allowing him to do it, why then would God allow Satan to then enter into the mind of a Christian so that he can impact him in any negative way? Then you have to kind of put, is that, do we, do we look to Satan? Do we fight Satan or do we look to God and go, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Right? But the issue would kind of be more fall at the, at the, at the feet of God, right? Speaking of God almost in human terms, all right? But obviously before God, right? Not, not that, you know, we, I'm, I'm using that metaphorically, right? Before his feet. But we would have to come to God and say, God, why are you allowing Satan to take control or enter into the minds of believers to do this or to do this or to do this or to do that? That, that, that's a, that's a very deep theological question. If God is sovereign, then he's controlling, he's, he's over Satan's actions. So if you're going to say, well, Satan can get into your mind and can get into your mind and to get into your mind, then you could fight Satan all day. As long as God continues to allow him into your mind, 
Like, I, I mean, I guess you can fight, 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 fight. But the real issue is like, wait a minute, God, why is God allowing that to happen? And you never hear Christians really articulate or explain that. They'll say, Satan is the threat. Satan is the threat. Satan's out there to get in your mind. You've got to fight it. You got, well, wait a minute. I'm fighting, but God is sitting back, not doing anything about it. Why wouldn't God just say, no, Satan, do not enter. You cannot enter. You have to stay out of the mind of one of my children. But if God allows Satan into your mind, then doesn't God have then a reason for that? See, that's a very important theological question. And you say, well, what's the answer? I don't have a good answer. But I know the people making all of these threats about what Satan can do, they have to at least articulate that to some level. So so that's my first question, is why would God even allow it to happen? And then secondly... Once Satan can get into your mind, and I've already articulated this in the in the opening illustration and the opening uh, introduction here, at that point, what can you trust? What can you trust? Let, let me let me put forth a crazy hypothesis. Are you ready? This is a crazy hypothesis. If we accept that Satan can get inside the mind of even believers. He can get inside the mind of unbelievers. He can get inside the mind of believers. He can implant thoughts. He can control thoughts. He can render you powerless. He can weaken you. However you want to describe how much he can do once he gets inside there. Once he gets inside there. Just think of this hypothesis. Could it be possible that what Satan has done is implanted into the minds of people who claim to be Christians, that he has implanted into our minds that Christianity is true when it's not really true, and that the ones who are really deceived are Christians. We are deceived. Satan has put into our mind and we've bought into an entire system that is absolutely not true. And that we believe things about salvation and that we believe things about Jesus and we believe things about his death, burial, and resurrection. That is not true. And that our interpretations of scripture are absolutely fraudulent because Satan has actually, the way he's going to win the war is he's so in, he's so infiltrated the minds of people is to convince people that no, 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 you're on the winning side. No, you're believing the right thing, but the reality, he has so deceived us that we're believing all the wrong things and we're actually going to be the ones who go to hell. He's actually convinced us that we believe the right religion when we actually believe the wrong religion. Now, I know some people are going to say, that's absurd. Why is it absurd if you think Satan can get into your mind and impact the way you think? Now, some, some will say, well, no, he couldn't do that, but what can he do? Because the sermon we're listening to literally said that Satan can render you powerless and enslave your mind so that you serve his purpose. Well, what would be his purpose, right? Wouldn't his purpose be to deceive you, to, to convince you that you're going the right way when in reality you're going the wrong way, to convince you that your interpretation of the Bible is right, that your religion is right, that your faith is right, and then you, you think that you're so safe and then come to find out at the end, it's like, <laughs> gotcha. Now, I know to even ask this question, people are going to be like, that's crazy. No, 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 no. I'm taking, look, this is what you always do Whenever this is just a basic way of logically of logically thinking something through. When I hear a hypothesis, I hear uh, someone's thesis. What I will do is take it and go, okay, let's 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 go with the idea that it's true, and now let's follow it to its logical conclusion. Well, if I'm going to be telling people Satan can get inside your mind, he can he can control your thinking, he can implant thoughts into your mind. Lady, then, then if you take that to its logical conclusion, what would be the best way then to utterly destroy you, to convince you that you're right, to convince you that what you believe is true? And then you're like, hey, I, I'm fighting against Satan. And the whole time you're literally following his plan. 
Now, if someone's going to come along and go, God would never allow that to happen. Well, if God would not allow that to happen, then why would God even allow him into your brain in the first place? See, once God allow, once you believe Satan gets into the computer, then what can he hack? He can hack everything, right? So that I, I just want to put forth that 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 at least we have to at least. And I, I know I know, I know I mean, I'm going to get so many emails on this, and people are going to be so upset with me. But no, I like I'm not the one who, who I'm not the one who was walking around telling everyone Satan can get into your head and do this. I'm taking a sermon where someone made this suggestion, and I'm now following it to its logical conclusion. Now, some may say, no, you're going way too far. You're, you're taking it to a ridiculous level. Well, look, once Satan gets his foot, or let, we'll use the hacking analogy, once Satan gets into the computer, aren't all bets off at that point? How, how, I mean, I, you say, well, study your Bible, but Satan's in my brain. If Satan can get into my head, how can I know that I'm reading it right? How do I know that I'm interpreting it right? Well, go to church and hear the word of God preach. Well, the person preaching, Satan could be in their head. So how do I know what, at that point, don't, can you no longer, I mean, what can you trust? Now, I do all of that to now get us back to the sermon that we've been reviewing. The name of the sermon is How Satan Can Get Into Your Head. Please look for it on the Sermons 2.0 app. Listen to it for the Sermons 2.0 app challenge. We're about 10 minutes into the sermon, and he's about to give us three major themes in the Bible. Now, he's been talking about how Satan can get into your head. Now, he's going to give us three major themes in the Bible, and then he's going to, I guess, try to break this down a little bit more and how Satan gets in. And then we got to find a way to keep him out because once he gets in, I don't know what happens. So let's go back to the sermon. Oh, I I, I almost want to just stop right there. I almost want to just stop right there and put forth that whole Satan, the great hacker question and let everyone struggle with that tonight. That's enough to keep you up. All, that's going to keep me up for, I don't know if I'm ever going to sleep again. Cause I'm like, what? I don't know if I can trust anything. So there's, there's got to be a theological answer, but we'll let, we'll continue to let him build his hypotheses. And I'm going to keep asking difficult questions. Here we go. Let's go back to the sermon. He's going to give us three major themes in the Bible. Here we go. Risk. I want to ask you about now, folks, there are three very basic fundamental themes that show up in the Bible over and over and over again. The first theme is that there is a spiritual battle. In Genesis, we discover the battle has begun as Satan deceives Adam and Eve and draws them into the kingdom of darkness and aligns them and their children in a battle against God. Okay, now, I do agree. The Bible speaks of a spiritual battle. And he talks about going, you know, all the way back to the garden. Now, let me ask you a question. Satan presented ideas and thoughts to Eve, but we have no biblical account that he got into her head. The thought was presented now, that thought may have got into her head, but thoughts getting into your head because they're presented to us externally, like here, because he's literally having a conversation with her, right? There's, there's nothing about how, because he literally was a serpent, right? Or he used a serpent, came into the garden and had a conversation with her. That wasn't like, like if, 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 if he could enter into her brain supernaturally, then why even take on, why use a serpent and come talk to her? Wouldn't even have to talk to her. She could just be walking along and all of a sudden the thought would be, I need to go look at that tree. And then like, oh, wait, has God said this or has God? And as all the thoughts just start pouring into her head, 
That's not the way the text reads. Satan literally comes to her and has a conversation with her. So the thought is outside of her, and as she thinks it, and now we can all agree that that happens all the time. There are thoughts, there are ideas, there are hypotheses. They are all around us. And then we must take those thoughts into captivity saying, okay, is this true? Is this true or this true? That doesn't mean the thing is inside my brain. It's outside my brain. And then I'm utilizing my brain to judge, to critique, to determine right and wrong based off some ultimate standard. Now, the ultimate standard is not how I feel or what I desire. We believe the ultimate standard is scripture. So I have the Bible I've got to read it, study it, memorize it so that it fills my mind. It fills me, right? And then when a thought comes, I have then scripture to go, "Mm, that thought's not biblical. That thought's not correct. Now that makes it much more manageable. That's not Satan getting into my head. That's, that's the world is filled with thinking that is contrary to the word of God. There's thinking all around us that's more in line with the way Satan thinks. But that's not Satan getting into my head. That's not Satan somehow getting into my head, rendering rendering me powerless, enslaving me. No, it just means there's thoughts out there. Now, he, maybe that's how he means it. No, that's far different. That's not Satan in my head. That's Satan outside of my head. The world is filled with ideas and thoughts that are in accordance with him. I mean, where do you get that Satan gets inside the head and he can come and put this thought in your brain? Like, like you're just going along and all of a sudden here's a thought that just enters into your brain. I, I, that, I, I think sometimes maybe Christians mean it one way, but we explain it in a way that almost makes it sound like you're just sitting there and all of a sudden a thought comes into your mind. Oh, and I've heard this. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting? And you're trying to focus on God. And then all of a sudden you get this horrible thought. Where did that come from? That came from Satan. So you're telling me Satan can literally just implant a thought in my brain? Now, what's that? That's, that's the hacking scenario. And at that point, you cannot trust. And then at that point, how do you even judge the thought? How, if he's putting the thinking in your brain, then he can, then he literally can start doing things inside your mind. At that point, your whole, your whole theology, your whole concept is going to fall apart. Because then you, how do you trust any of your thoughts? You say, well, the thought was bad because you think it's bad. How do you know that the, you thinking it's bad is really the wrong thought and the bad, bad thought is really the good thought? How do you, how do you know right or wrong? You say, well, I've got the Bible, but how do you know you're interpreting the Bible? Because if Satan can put thinking in your head, then he can impact the way you interpret the Bible. See, the whole thing falls apart. If we keep the thinking and the thoughts outside of us, and then Satan, in a sense, just like he does Eve, he kind of comes up to us, not literally, because he's not omnipresent, not omnipresent. He, he presents the idea through this world. And then we're like, oh, okay, according to God's word, that thinking is incorrect. See, that's much more manageable, logical, and reasonable. It doesn't turn into this like, what in the world? So I do agree there's a spiritual battle. But the spiritual battle, let's remember, the spiritual battle is fought, first of all, internally. And the internal is we have our sinful nature. And we do know that that has major impact on us and prevents us from ever keeping God's law. That's why we have to be saved by an imputed righteousness. And it does impact our thinking. That's why our thinking is constantly in trouble. But it, but at the same time, we're not believing Satan is inside of me. Satan is outside of me. And then I have the word of God. And then these, the thinking that is around me, I compare it to the word of God. That's not th- Satan finding some supernatural way to imp- implant a thought in my mind. That I don't even know how you even then trust anything at that point. One more example, because I think... And in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, hallelujah, the battle is won as the King of Kings returns to the earth and defeats all who are in opposition to Him and He establishes His kingdom on the earth. Hallelujah! The battle is won. But the second basic theme in the Bible is the theme of redemption. Because this is the plan whereby God in every generation of the Bible 
redeems those who are lost and in bondage to Satan, to sin, and to the kingdom of darkness. And God redeems them out of the kingdom of darkness and He adopts them and brings them into His glorious kingdom of light and into His forever family. That is redemption. That's how God conscripts you and me into His army. When you become one of His children, you become one of His soldiers. And then the third theme that we see over and over in the Bible deals with the Holy Spirit. Yes, in the Old as well as in the New Testament. The Spirit of the living God coming into the lives of believers, transforming us, guiding us, and empowering us to engage the enemy in this battle and to emerge more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Okay, there's a lot going on here. Okay, so so there's a war, there's redemption, and then we have the Holy Spirit. And then supposedly now we get the Holy Spirit and he empowers us. Now, once again, I've got I, I know, I, I know people get mad at me, but I don't care. I'm gonna ask this question until I'm dead. If the Holy Spirit is empowering me, why doesn't that power get me to sinless perfection? Why doesn't it get me to holiness? That's the Holy Spirit's third person of the Trinity. One God, three distinct persons who are co-equal, co-eternal. That means that's an omnipotent power. How can the Spirit of God be empowering me, but it cannot get me to sinlessness? It cannot get me to perfection. So then you say, well, he's empowering you, but it's only, what, 50% power? 60% power? And if he's, and if he's empowering me, and if he's guiding and directing and teaching, as many Christians claim, well then why isn't, why don't all Christians believe the same thing? If the, if I am a Baptist and other people are a Presbyterian and somehow the Holy Spirit led them to baptize babies and, ba- and has led me not to baptize baby, babies, so, look, someone's not being led by the Holy Spirit. And so then why is it that, you know, is it what Presbyterians don't listen to the Holy Spirit and Baptists do? Or Baptists don't listen to the Holy Spirit, but then Presbyterians do? Is it just because we don't listen to the Spirit? Isn't the Spirit, the Spirit of God omnipotent? Couldn't he speak a little louder so that we could listen? So if he's leading and guiding, why do we not agree on, we don't agree on anything within Christianity. We don't agree on the Lord's Supper. We don't agree on baptism. We don't agree on repentance. We don't even agree on the church structure. We don't agree on salvation. We don't agree on anything. So is the Holy Spirit really leading, guiding, and teaching? Because if he is, you think at some point there would be unity. And if he's empowering, then why are we not, why cannot we not keep the law? We can't keep the law. That's why we have to be saved by an imputed righteousness. And then he says, he does all of this so that we are more than conquerors. No, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, meaning in my position, I'm more than a conqueror. Conqueror In Christ, I'm a new creature. The old is gone. In Christ, I am perfect and holy. That is my positional reality. My practical reality, are we more than conquerors? Are we more than, if we're more than conquerors, you think we should be able to conquer sin once and for all and be holy? Well, clearly, we're not conquering sin if we continue to sin. If I cannot get to perfection, then sin is conquering me. I'm not conquering it. You say, well, I used to do this sin, but I no longer do it. But you do this one, 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 this one. So sin is still conquering. And if the Holy Spirit is leading, if the Holy Spirit is guiding, if the Holy Spirit is empowering, then how in the world does Satan get into your head? Does the Holy Spirit like, oh, no, 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 no. What are you doing? 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 Satan, Satan's in your head. Couldn't the Holy Spirit drive him out? If the Holy Spirit's in me, then how does Satan get into my head? Because doesn't the Holy Spirit have access to my head as well? And if the Holy Spirit has access to my head, well, then why aren't my thoughts perfect in line with God? And if the Holy Spirit has access to my head and it can, if the Holy Spirit can impact my thinking, then why isn't my, why don't all Christians think the same thing about scripture and about church and about God? Oh, see, now I've got all kinds of questions. 
So on one hand, he's saying Satan can get into your head. He can render you powerless and he can enslave you. But at the same time, you have the Holy Spirit empowering you so that you can be more than conquerors. Well, how can I be more than conquerors if Satan can just get into my head, hack me, and then he enslaves me? Then what is the Holy Spirit doing? Does the Holy Spirit then get kicked out? The whole thing begins to fall apart. So let's listen to a little bit more of this and see where this is going. You cannot fight the battle and emerge victorious apart from the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. So you see, this theme of this battle that is raging around us and sometimes within us is a prominent fundamental theme of the entirety of the Bible. If you don't understand this, you will fall prey to the enemy. And you will experience more sorrow than any of God's children ought to experience. The battle is the battle for your mind and for your heart. Okay, so the battle is for your mind and your heart. Now, supposedly you have the Holy Spirit in you, but then there's a battle for your mind and your heart. Now, if the Holy Spirit is in me, wouldn't he then be have some control of my mind and my heart? And if he has control of my mind and my heart, then why do I desire sinful things and think sinful things? <laughs> Sometimes when you try to map this out, when you hear Christians talk, you just kind of like, I, this is the most confounding, confused thing I've ever heard in my life. On one hand, I'm supposed to walk around going, I'm more than a conqueror because I have the Holy Spirit in me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's directing me. He's teaching me. He's empowering me. But at this, on the other hand, I'm supposed to go, now wait, 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 wait. Satan could get into my mind and he could, he could, he could do this and he could, well, wait a minute. Then who is it? Is it the spirit or is it Satan? Which one is stronger? Because if the spirit is in me, then I don't know how Satan gets into me or can do anything to me. If the Spirit is in me and He's doing all these things that supposedly He's doing, then the Christian church should be made up of people who are basically sinless. We think the same thing. We believe the same thing. We say the same thing. We do the same thing because we all have the same Spirit indwelling us. And it doesn't look like that ever. And if you're a Christian, you know, come on now, you know how much you sin. You know, how you. if you even remotely compare your life, your internal and your external life to the perfect word of God, you know every day you are convicted. So something, this description of how this all works, how the Christian life works here is one of utter confusing. It's, it's utter, it's one of confusion. And at times it seems contradictory. Well, let's see if we, maybe he's going to extrapolate this to such a way that it's going to be like, oh, now, now it makes sense. These are illustrative of the fact. I apologize. I keep clicking the file that go back to the hacking story. All right. I, I, I apologize. Let's go back to the sermon. Or let me put it another way. It is the battle for your thought life and for your affections. To ignore this war will lead to our self-destruction. Turn with me. Okay, so it sounds like that if we ignore this war, we can self-destruct. So even as a Christian, it sounds like you can be rendered powerless. This, this is from earlier in the sermon. You can be enslaved and you can be, and then you can self-destruct. Now, that, wait a minute, I thought the power of God, I thought the power of the Spirit was in me. And power, so how can the Spirit be in me, guaranteeing that I'm going to be more than a conqueror, but at the same time I could self-destruct, be enslaved, and be rendered powerless? I don't understand. So then at this point, it's no longer the, it's not the Spirit that's going to do it. I've got to step in. I've got to like, hey, Holy Spirit, I know you're there. Thank you. Now, I know what they're going to say. You can't do it alone. So I can't do it alone. So I need the Spirit's help, but obviously I got to do the rest. I, I don't even understand how this works now. So now, now we got to figure this out. So there's a, there's a battle going for my mind and for my affections. Now, supposedly I got the spirit in me. So you think then my mind and my affections should be completely protected because I have the Holy Spirit in me. But obviously, even with the Holy Spirit in me, we do know this. I'm rent. I can't get to uh, perfection. 
I can't get to sinlessness. So the Holy Spirit clearly doesn't get me there. Now, now at the same time, even though I have the Holy Spirit, my thinking and my affections can be hijacked. So, so at this point, I don't really know what the Holy Spirit is supposedly doing, but supposedly he's guiding, leading and empowering. But the power is obviously limited and the guiding and the leading is obviously can be greatly hijacked and hindered. I'm assuming then by Satan. So then does that make Satan greater than the Holy Spirit? That so many of these things. Please keep a finger there in Second Corinthians. Turn back, please, to John chapter 10. I want us to just look for a moment at the adversary. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus refers to Satan as the thief. And in John 10, 10, Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Would you say that, steal, kill, and destroy? Okay, I'm back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Once again, I clicked the wrong file for a second. Okay, here we go. Because it's in the slot where I'm, I'm used to doing this. Now, here's what I would challenge you. All right, now, please note, I think we're in 2 Corinthians. But to bring Satan into the story, he goes to John 10, because I don't think Satan is actually mentioned in 2 Corinthians. I'd have to go back, but I don't believe it. I don't believe we've read anything about Satan in the text, but he's kind of, he's putting Satan there. Now he's getting Satan in 2 Corinthians by pulling him from John chapter 10. And he says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill and to destroy. And I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. All right. Now, I would ask, are we, do we know for sure, based off this text, that the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, do we know for sure that that is Satan? Do we know for sure that is Satan? I'm going to just do a little bit of work here because, uh, because you know how I, I like to do. I like, I like to always challenge everything. All right. So listen to me. This is very important. I don't care. Look, I don't care how many schools I've gone to. I don't care how many papers I've written. I don't care what I know about John chapter 10. My past understanding has no present bearing in our present study. So I'm going to set aside what I think I know John 10, 10 is saying, and I'm going to then let's just do a little bit of research. So I'm just going to do a little bit of research here. All right. So I'm going to do a little bit of research. Okay. Okay, hang on. If I can spell right. I'm looking something up. I'm going to just see, is there complete agreement on this? Is there complete agreement on this? I'm going to look, I'm looking up some things here. Looking up some things here. I think there's probably universe. I, th- I, pr- I probably think there's about a majority view, but I'm just going to see if there's any other views here. We will see here in just a second, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. All right, here we go. I'm trying to find something. I don't know why my uh, internet is working so weird, okay? But uh, here we go. We'll try this again. All right. Uh, Okay, so this seems to agree that it is Satan. Okay, so let's say that is Satan. All right, so let's say that is Satan. So the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. You, You can look and see if there's any other views, if there's any other views. All right. But let's say that's Satan. All right. So the, th- the Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, that may be true. He may come to kill, steal, and destroy. But that does in no way, shape, or form. I don't know if you can take that, run back to Second Corinthians and say, oh, oh, the way he, he steals, the way he steals, kills, and destroy is by getting inside your mind. Now, because now you're implying that the way he's going to kill you, steal, steal from you and destroy is by getting inside your head. That now that t- creates all the problems that we've already discussed. Okay. So yeah, we, I, we still, there was a book. 
I can't remember the name of the book. I think it was called Common Exegetical Errors. And um, I think they did some, maybe it wasn't this passage, but there was a passage where everyone's like, that is Satan. And, and the argument in the book was, it's not actually Satan if you look at the context. But I, I can't find the commentary or the uh, article where that uh, occurs. So it may not be this passage, but I was trying to verify if it was. But all right, we, we may come back to that. Let's continue. We just completely take for granted. So steal, kill, and destroy. But notice in contrast, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So the enemy who is at war against you wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy. On the other hand, Jesus wants to lead you in the battle and through the battle with a victorious and abundant life. The enemy wants to destroy your walk with God, your witness for Christ, and your works for the kingdom of God. He wants to steal, if possible, your faith. Steal the fruit of the Spirit from your... Okay, wait, 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 wait. All right, so I just found, I found an article. Uh, this comes from Biola University. Misinterpreting the thief, John 10.10. 10. All right, it says in, J in Jesus' shepherd discourse in John 10, Jesus contrasts himself with the thief. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I, I, I came that they might have life and uh, have it in abundance. If you hear this ver verse quoted in a sermon or see how people use this verse online, you will usually hear the thief is Satan. But is that what Jesus meant? All of John 10, 1 through uh, 18, hangs as a single discourse, split up into three connected shepherd parables. So if we want to understand what Jesus meant by thief, we need to, surprise, look at the context. Once we look at the whole discourse, it becomes clear that the thief does not refer to Satan, but to Jesus' opponents, the self-serving human leaders of Israel. The entire shepherd discourse is a direct response to the Pharisees' mistreatment of one of Jesus' sheep, the blind man, in John chapter 9. Second, each one of the three parables is about a contrast between Jesus and the failed leaders. Third, within the particular parable, only one short paragraph. Jesus is clear that all who come before me are thieves and bandits. The thief only comes to kill and to destroy. There is no hint that he has switched topics within a single parable. We expect the symbols to stay the same. So there is no reason to think that Jesus has started to talk about Satan. So overall, the context moving from John chapter chapter 9 to John chapter 10, down to the discourse, and then down to the parable in John 10, 7 through 10, makes it clear that the thief is a reference to the failed leaders of Israel. See, I knew, I, I knew I could remember that. I knew. I didn't want to be dogmatic. So right there, he just went to John 10. He didn't prove it. He just said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is Satan. That may not be Satan, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I know. Oh, oh, I, I, that's going to create some controversy. You go look at the context. Start in John 9, read all of John 9, and read all of John 10 in context. And note, John 10, 1 through 18, it's a single discourse. I don't think Jesus in the middle of this discourse switched and decided to throw Satan into it. That's, I do not think that's what it's about. So I think it's a complete misinterpretation of it. Now, wait a minute. Satan could be in my mind. So maybe Satan doesn't want me to see that Satan is there, or maybe Satan wants other people to see him there when it's not really him so that they'll misinterpret the entire passage. Oh, I don't know. I don't, which way do I go? Is, is Satan trying to keep me from seeing Satan or is Satan trying to keep others to see him so that they don't see the text? Would Satan be more worried about me seeing him when he's not there or would he be worried or would he be more worried about me seeing him when he isn't there so that I don't see the actual word of God. I think he would want to keep me from the word of God, right? I, I don't know. But he, he, the sermon is just going straight. He's not even bothering to consider that this, not everyone agrees on that. The thief there in John 10, 10 is about Satan. Not everyone agrees on that. Isn't it amazing that we just were told it once. And then for, for that's why, oh, I cannot stress this enough. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, never rely on past understanding for present study. 
Do not do that. If I would have relied on past understanding, on my understanding of John 10, I would have said it's Satan, it's Satan, it's Satan, because I was told that a hundred times. But I, every time I would study John, I would look and consider and not just rely on my past understanding. That's why you don't rely on past notes. You don't rely on past sermon notes. Everything you do in the past is irrelevant when you study the Bible in the present. Or you will stay trapped in your wrong understanding. I challenge the whole that that's not Satan. I'm going to challenge that. And I may, I may do an entire exegetical study from John 9 to John 10 to demonstrate that. And if I remember correctly, we spent four years in the gospel of John. I think when we got to John 10, I did raise this question. And if I remember correctly, I think some people got very upset with me in my church at the time. I don't think they left or maybe they, I don't think anyone left over it, but I think it was, they, they weren't very happy with it. But I think if you look at it textually, I challenge you, right? So he's, so just already realized this, the sermon is falling apart because he's going to John 10, 10 saying that's Satan. And now he's going to take Satan in John 10, 10, go over to second Corinthians where Satan is not mentioned and going to inject Satan there. That's not how you do exegetical study. That's not, you don't just go grab from, oh, I need Satan to show up in this passage. So I'm going to go to this passage to grab Satan to bring him over here. The only problem is he went to a passage that I don't even think is about Satan. Now, maybe it is, and I'm willing to be corrected, but I would challenge that interpretation that that Satan in John 10 did. Your life and if possible, steal even your family. The thief wants to kill your marriage. He wants to kill your ministry for the kingdom. And if possible, he wants to kill your motivation for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he want to steal, to kill, and to destroy in your now, please note, he's just, imp he's, impo he's, Im he's inserted Satan into the text. And now Satan wants to kill you. Satan, or kill your marriage, or kill this. So Satan wants to do all of this. Now, once again, though, he's already said that I have the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, he's leading, guiding, directing, and empowering me. So if Satan, if, I'm sorry, the Spirit is inside of me, leading, guiding, and directing, and empowering me. So if the Spirit is inside of me, leading, guiding, directing, and empowering, then how can Satan kill, steal, and destroy from me? Because I have literally God inside of me. How can Satan do anything to me if God is in me doing all the things you said that he's doing? And even if God is not inside me doing all the things you claim that he's doing, isn't God then control over his own children? So then how could Satan do anything to any believer? And if Satan can do that to a believer, then why does God allow Satan to do that to a believer? Knowing that the believer is going to struggle, fall, or sin. Then you would have to imply, well, then wait a minute. God obviously wants the believer to sin, fall, or, 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 or to struggle because he's allowing it to happen. Or are you saying God can't tell Satan what he can or can't do? Well, I can go to the book of Job and clearly show you God's in charge of what Satan can and can't do. Now, if, if we believe that then God, then Satan does these things and God's allowing him to do these things, then when we see someone fall or sin, should we not maybe look at that a little differently? Because you could say, well, Satan got into their head. Satan, Satan got into their thinking and God allowed it to happen. Your life, it will render you powerless and therefore, you will be worthless for the purposes of the kingdom of God. Once again, that's, that's the second time. Satan can render you powerless. How can Satan render me powerless if I supposedly have the spirit in me empowering me? That would make Satan greater than, than the spirit. You can't on one hand say God is indwelling you and he's empowering you, but on the next second, Satan can render you powerless. That means he'd have to turn off the power of the spirit. How can you say these things that are utterly contradictory one to the other? Satan is very, very crafty. He does not want you to be effectively engaged in the spiritual battle 
for the souls and lives of men and women. And if He can defeat you and render you powerless, then you're no threat to Him. If Satan can destroy your witness because of a moral indiscretion, then how effective could you be as a soldier of the gospel in personal evangelism? If Satan is in the process of destroying your marriage and your focus is on what is happening in your own marriage, how effective can you be in ministering God's grace to other people? So you see where the enemy is coming from? So again, I repeat, there is a spiritual battle that is raging all around us and sometimes it rages in our own lives as well. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I've already presented all of the problems and challenges I have with this entire hypothesis. I am so utterly confused that in the same sermon, on one hand, I supposedly have God that's empowering, guiding, directing, so that I'll be more than a conqueror. On the other, I got Satan who can literally render me powerless, destroy me, destroy my marriage, do generational destruction, and I've got to somehow fight against it. I don't know why I'm fighting against it. If I got the Spirit in me, why wouldn't the Spirit fight against it? I don't know. I'm so... Well, the Spirit helps, but I've got to do the rest of the work. And if Satan can get into my mind, how can I fight something that can hack the computer? Because the computer I would need to fight it would be hacked by Satan. Then I would be rendered useless. So are you saying, I just got to make sure he never hacks my mind? Well, how do I know if he's hacked my mind? Because if my mind is hacked, I won't know that my mind is hacked. So how will I ever know? I don't even know. The whole thing becomes just this... Like, I don't know. It just, it's like, if you're trying to connect the dots, you just have a, you just have a piece of paper with just like all these scribbles all over the place. And it's like, there's no way to connect it. There's, you don't know where it begins. You don't know where it ends. You don't know anything. So he went to John 10, 10, which I don't believe is about Satan. You read John 9 and John 10. That's, that's what we'll take away from part two. Part two, I want you to think about the idea. So this is what I want you to take away from part two. That, that, that audio clip that we heard that you kept hearing me hit play over and over. I kept doing this. I kept doing this. For instance, uh, President Biden's order increased security at ports, which includes money to build more cranes in the United mm-hmm. States to replace cranes made in China. Okay, I kept I kept hitting play on that, and I do apologize for doing that over and over and over and over and over because while well, my brain was hacked and I kept hitting the wrong button, see, I, I couldn't control. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, I'm being a little facetious here, all right, but I'm trying to make a point. So here's the first thing I want you to consider: if you think in some specific way that Satan can get into your brain and get into your mind and plant thoughts, control thoughts, twist thoughts then at that point, how can you trust anything? If Satan can do that even to a child of God, is it possible that Satan so got into your brain that he has convinced all of us who claim to be Christians of the truth of Christianity, when in reality, Christianity is the lie, and he has deceived all of us into believing what we believe to be truth, which is really a lie, and therefore he has therefore condemned all of us. Wouldn't the greatest thing Satan could do, instead of fighting us, just convince us that we're right? Hey, you're believing the right thing. You're going to heaven. You believe in salvation. Your understanding of the Bible is right. You've got nothing to worry about. Wouldn't that be the greatest trick? And then we're all walking around going, hey, everyone be on the lookout for Satan. Watch out for Satan. And Satan's sitting back going, <laughs> they don't even realize that they're, they're following me. They're so confused. They think they're like, they're thinking they're fighting me when in reality, I'm controlling them. You say, well, it could never happen. Well, then stop. Maybe you may want to reconsider how you preach about what Satan can do. This sermon has now stated it multiple times. He can literally render you powerless. Well, I think you would be powerless if he can so control your thinking that you think, oh, this is the truth of Christianity, when in reality, it's all wrong. 
They said, well, that, that can't happen because we've got the Bible. No, you've got a Bible that you have to interpret with. Oh yeah, your brain. But if Satan is controlling your brain, you can't even then trust your interpretation of scripture. Maybe your interpretation, that's why, maybe that's why lost people don't interpret the Bible the same way we do, because maybe we're the ones who the brain has been hi- hacked, hacked by Satan. And therefore we believe the wrong thing. And, and maybe lost people actually say the, see the right thing. He said, well, that just makes no sense. Well, that, I know it makes no sense. That's why this whole idea that Satan can get into my brain and control thoughts and do all of this stuff becomes majorly problematic. I believe Satan is in the world. I believe he's a real, literal, spiritual being. And I believe the best he can do is put forth his ideas, his philosophies, his perspectives out there. And then we encounter these think this these thoughts, not because of some supernatural, all of a sudden he imposed a thought in my brain. No, 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 no. I don't believe he can do that. I don't believe that's the way it works. I, I hear these thoughts in all kinds of different ways from other people. It can be from all kinds of sources. And I hear those thoughts. My job is because I have the word of God, right? Because I have the word of God. Not because I have some internal thing telling me what's right and wrong. Because can you even really trust your conscience? Your conscience can mislead you. I have the word of God. And that's why God has given us a written revelation, which is outside of us. So my job is to take the written word of God and to try to look at it fairly and accurately, not allowing my internal sinful nature and my wrong thinking to corrupt it and try to understand it so that I can judge the thinking and the things that I have that I'm encountering. And at the same time, I have the word of God that hopefully will help me see the corruption and the sinfulness that is inside of me. And if you have evil thoughts, those arise from your sinful nature. It's not Satan putting them in your head. They're coming from inside. I say this all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, the call is coming from inside the house. Yes, I'm I'm referencing a very old horror movie. The call is coming from inside the house. The problem is inside you. It's not Satan. It's your sinful nature. Now, that was 61 minutes of twists and turns and ups and downs. And we got started a little rough because I didn't have my normal... uh audio file to do things right. And then I had the audio file in the wrong slot and I kept playing the wrong thing. So we had, we had a lot of ups and downs, twists and turns. Didn't, it didn't flow smoothly. And I'm glad it didn't because that serves as a great illustration of how this entire hypothesis that we are trying to consider as fairly as we can doesn't make any sense. So the first thing I want you to just consider if saying can get your brain. And then the second thing I wanted you to consider, I, I know I, I said number one and I never went to number two and I drives people crazy when I do that, but sometimes my brain gets distracted. I want you to consider John chapter nine and John chapter 10. And I want for you to, to do your own work. Do, do a chapter summary method on John nine, 10, pull out one of the Bible study methods, work on John nine and 10 and see what conclusion you come to. Is John 10, 10 about Satan or is it not? I will, I'm going to put forth a hypothesis. John 10, 10 is not about Satan. And every sermon you've ever heard, which says it is, is wrong. That's my hypothesis. You test it. Thank you for listening. Now you can email me newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to immediately end this, and then I'm going to go back and listen to the beginning of this to see if I so messed up the beginning that I need to delete this. But if I have to delete 63 minutes and 45 seconds of teaching, I'm not going to need Satan to hijack my brain <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to be destroyed 
because of my messing this up. All right. I, I won't need, I won't need Satan to do anything. I, I'm going to, I'm going to be, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be utterly, yeah, I'm going to be utterly destroyed. But, but I, 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 that we've somehow have to preserve this somehow. Something, we're not going to get rid of, there's no way I can get rid of this, right? There's, there's too much, too many important things. Whether it wasn't, didn't flow perfectly, there's too much in this 64 minutes that every single person needs to hear and every single person needs to consider because I think we go at the very heart of evangelicalism and its claims that Satan can do this, 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 and this with ever taking it to its logical conclusion. All right. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great, great, great night. You've got plenty to consider, plenty to meditate on. You meditate, you study, and then you let me know what you discover. Because I have a feeling we're going to be working on John 10, 10 and great. T- I, I have a feeling if anything I have said tonight sparks a little bit of outrage, it may be the John. I don't know if it's going to be the first thing about if Satan is so high, can hijack our brain. How do we know we haven't been hijacked to believe that Christianity is true when that maybe actually it isn't. And maybe we're all deceived. That's going to spark some controversy, but I believe that John 10, 10 will spark the greatest amount of controversy. I believe I could be wrong. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.